Stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Voice America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. Good morning, everybody. I know that many of you have been tuning in to the news nonstop, particularly with the onslaught of Hurricane Sandy. And this started... Um, last week, you know, Thursday, the warning started coming and the news was very, very on top of this. And nobody can say that the warnings weren't there. Today I have Lila King, who is heads up social media for CNN. I would imagine, Lila, you had a very, very, very busy week. Hi, Cindy. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I think, I think a very busy week is probably an understatement, um, Though I'll say we, uh, in the, in, at CNN, I'm based in the Atlanta headquarters and we feel very, very fortunate to have been here in Atlanta and, and to have escaped what our colleagues and friends and, 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 you know, other New Yorkers and, and people in the Northeast experienced. Um, it's been, one of the things that, that has been really extraordinary about this story is that we've seen unprecedented amounts of photography and video of the storm coming ashore, people waiting for it, and now, of course, people dealing with the, you know, dealing with what Sandy has wrought, um, and, and they've been posting those on social media and keeping one another up to date, and we've seen extraordinary amounts of it through through platforms like CNN's iReport initiative, and, and it's been no surprise, such an, such an important way of, that, that we've been able to tell the story on all of our platforms on CNN. Yeah, and it's uh, I know that I was going to have you on the show just to talk about how digital media influences the elections, and we will definitely get to that um, later on in the show. But I, um, as I watched CNN and used it as my news source for breaking news, um, I would have been remiss in not talking about you know this storm. And, you know, even though you're in Atlanta and you, you know, your colleagues in Atlanta weren't personally hit in that area, I mean, you know, you are a worldwide news operation and you still had to, um, you know, work 24-7 in delivering it. I, I know that you have so many different platforms and, um, you know, when the crane in New York um started getting, you know, broke and, and started getting dangerous. I know that, you know, it was HLN and Anna Gonzalez that posted, you know, one of the early pictures of that. 
And um, those images were just so frightening and captures every microsecond of not only the warnings, but the danger areas that people had to get away from. And um, it's almost like news is told in one picture and news is told in 140 characters. You're absolutely right. And, you know, one of the things that's so interesting to me about that particular moment and story of the crane is that what we saw on, we saw it on Twitter, we saw it on Instagram, we saw it on iReport, of course, many, many, many photos, different angles of the same, of essentially the same thing. And even, um, you know, we were watching Piers Morgan tweeting, he was actually watching the crane from his office and taking photos. And what it, what it gives you is this sense that there's, you know, you get the whole picture, you get the same thing shot from literally thousands of angles, and so you kind of, you know, you have like a 360-degree view of a story, but every single one of those views comes from an individual who's sitting in the middle of the story, who's, you know, not an, not an independent objective of observer in most cases, it's just someone who's like literally living in the middle of a storm, and and frankly terrified and you know writing in 140 characters or you know into a full i report story or whatever it may be the that very personal intimate view and and in this case of fear about what about what you know what happens next and what it's like to be in the midst of such a thing and and that's that's what i feel is so it it makes a story like this like a natural disaster it's really what social media brings to it. It gives you both the broad 10,000-foot view and the very, very personal slice that helps you make a human connection to the story. When you can imagine, too, you're sitting in your chair and you're looking out the window and there's this giant crane snapping and dangling outside, you know, any of us could imagine being in that situation and what we would feel like. And it it, it just, it makes, it brings, it brings almost any story home in a way that that traditional journalism without social media doesn't always do on its own. It, it right. makes and things so much better. And of course, in traditional journalism, when you have a storm like this, you know, it might be tough for crews to get around, particularly if there's flooding and, you know, areas that are stanchioned off and, you know, all kinds of things. So, you know, there's trucks and there's crews and they can't get everywhere. I mean, but now it's almost as if you're sitting at, you know, social media news central at CNN and you really get to see all of these micro moments. It's almost a montage of, um, you know, personal stories that are unfolding and you have, you know, hundreds and thousands of them in front of you and you just get to pick what's the most moving and the most relevant and where there must be the most amount of danger i you it's almost as if you have you know this this these micro crews all over the world <laughs> it, 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 that's that's a really nice way to put it and in some ways that that is what it is how it how it tends to work i you know the my favorite thing about i report and cnn i report has been around for six years now and and it you know it we draw in from instagram and twitter and facebook and other places and but the the thing that distinguishes the way cnn approaches social media is that we apply a very very tough uh 
lens to the stories that we take from social media and pull over into our other platforms. And we call the process vetting. It's essentially fact-checking, verifying, you know, making sure that the, the micro moments as you describe them that we're pulling over onto television and CNN.com are actually real and true and happening. And, and I, I've, I, I know you, you must have noticed during the, the, immediate aftermath of the storm. And there were so many photos floating around social media that were very, some very, very obviously fake, some not so oh, obviously yeah. fake. Oh, yeah. And there right? were, it was interesting because there were actually threads that were analyzing why those photos would be fake. Mm-hmm. So it was a whole other trending topic is, you know, the top 10 fake photos that you would see in store. You know, everything becomes a story, even, you know, the people who are trying to pull off hoaxes and everybody can self-monitor now whether or not news is credible. Right, right. Well, and that, and it, it makes it, it's kind of a meta story, like a story on top of a story. It's, uh, that was such an interesting thing to watch. So what, what we, what we do at CNN, there's actually a, um, there's a small team. It's about eight people. They're based in the Atlanta newsroom, the CNN.com newsroom in Atlanta. And they're looking at things as they're coming in and then applying and then doing vetting and fact-checking on top of them. And so they are, the first thing they do is actually like they'll pull a, pull a video in and then call someone on the phone and, you know, try to get their story and, and understand who they are and what they saw and how they shot the shot the piece and and then you know we've got a, another several other layers and tools that we use to verify that that something that a, a photo or a video that we're getting is actually real and then at that point we'll you know pull it over into cena.com or or show it on television but that's the it's it's always my favorite part when you get to when you see someone's piece floating around in social media and then you get to talk to them and say Hi, I'm a producer from CNN. I think your story is really interesting. Please tell me about it. And I mean, that's, I think as humans, right, we all want to tell our stories. We all want to share our experiences where, especially we're in the midst of something so incredible and, and awful as, as, as Superstorm Sandy. It's a, it's, it's a pretty compelling and wonderful thing to get to call somebody up on the phone and, and hear first person what their experience is and then get to translate that back to CNN. I, I always feel like, I, I often say to people, I feel like in some ways my job is like being the flower delivery guy. <laughs> you know, you're like, <laughs> when someone is in the midst of something so that, that they will be telling their friends about forever and ever and ever and you get to be the person who calls them first and, and gets that story firsthand. It's pretty amazing. I love the flower delivery situation because these people are regular people. I mean, these are people that don't have publicists. These are people right. you know, that are real and raw and the kinds of people that you would be trying to go for had you been with a traditional news crew. You always want to have, you know, um, point of views. And, you know, now you could actually call these people, you know, and have them share their stories. And it's it's such a direct connection. And this just comes from the engagement that social media makes possible, you know, engagement with strangers (laughs) that have a story to tell. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you hear things that you wouldn't hear otherwise. Like yesterday we were hearing stories of um uh, pizza places in Manhattan giving out free slices of 
you know, the all the Broadway shows had been canceled the day before the storm, and so some of the performers went out and did a, a sing-along in the middle of Times Square. And, you know, I mean, there are, like, those are the kinds of stories that obviously the, the professional crews are, like, that's not where they're focused, right? They're focused on, like, figuring out where and when the storm is going to hit and how people can be prepared and getting the most critical information out to the world. And that's absolutely exactly the right thing for them to be doing and for them to be applying their professional expertise to. But those other sort of, like, the the human stories, the, the color and detail that tells us, you know, tells us something about kind of who we are, right? And how we, um, it's, it, it may sound a little, it may sound a little unicorns and rainbows, but I'll, but I'll take it in a moment like this with so much, so much destruction. Um, the, you know, when people come together and actually, um, are, are made into, or communities become kind of different things in the, in the wake of such tragedy, it's pretty extraordinary to see. And I, and I, I, I think it's a it's a very important part of what social media does to bring those stories to light. Yeah, no, it certainly does. I want to also commend you, you know, CNN, in terms of the warning and uh, the warnings and the evacuation notices, and you know, took that very very seriously. Social media played such an important role in that this time around. I don't think that social media was as mainstreamed during Katrina. Am I correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, during Katrina, there were, I mean, it, I, Twitter didn't exist. And exactly. if YouTube you did exist, I'm, I may be getting my dates a little bit wrong, but YouTube either didn't exist or was very, it was absolutely brand new. Um, you know, what's interesting at, at I, I was here at CNN during Katrina as well, and one of the things that we we knew immediately was that so many of the stories, of, so much of what would be uncovered about that story would come through photos and videos that people had taken themselves and documents that they had made of their own personal experience. But then, I guess this was 2005, the, the method for sending that into a news organization was so, I mean, it, it was email, basically. I remember, I remember working with our, our tech folks to set up an email address, which seemed so, which seemed <laughs> so exciting at the moment, right? But, uh, um, so, so that people could email in photos and videos and stories about what had happened to them. And then, um, and then literally we were copying and pasting from emails to publish into CNN.com, which was, you know, it was just a, it was a very different time. It was um, different. Well, listen, you were there and you see how fast, you know, technology changed from, you know, the, the one superstorm that brought a lot of devastation to the next. Um, and it's really amazing how much, you know, technology has changed news coverage over the last, you know, six to seven years. I mean, it's just it's it's. It's so different and, you know, so much more efficient. And the good news is, is that if mobile communications continues to evolve and become more perfected, people really can communicate during the most awful of circumstances. And I know that one of the mobile challenges in New York and New Jersey um, was that the batteries would just run out and then they couldn't charge it without it. But pretty much the signal stayed intact which is absolutely incredible, right? I mean, there were, you know, speaking of the mobile charging stations, we were, uh, we were 
sharing around internally a photo yesterday of one of the CNN crews um, actually creating kind of a mobile charging station off of their satellite truck yesterday. Um, Uh, Well, I saw it and it was incredible. Listen, um, we're going to take one commercial break and then I'm going to have you back and we're going to talk for one more segment to get a little bit more into um, election coverage, hurricane slash election coverage and what to anticipate in the next couple of weeks at CNN. So stand by and Lila, thank you. You've been, you know, you're very entertaining with your information sharing. So don't go away. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. If you have a question or comment, call in at 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. Here's Cindy Rakowitz. We're back, and we're talking to Lila King, who heads up social media for CNN. And we've had a great last segment where we were talking about how news covers a storm like Sandy. And because we have so much going on in the news, we have a presidential election coming next week. I mean, it's uh, it's almost like you have two gigantic events that are colliding into each other. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, Lila, how do you, from a news standpoint, you know, cover both situations? I know that generally the news umbrella has been that, um, you know, the candidates have put their, you know, campaign campaigning on hold, or at least the president had to put his campaigning on hold because he had to check out the devastation and meet with Chris Christie and go to New Jersey and be presidential and do the things that our commander in chief has to do during a natural disaster. So in essence, we watched, you know, the heat of a kind of angry campaign. I mean, you know, it seems like there's been, you know, a lot of, you know, stuff thrown at each of the candidates were throwing stuff at each other. The debates seem to be, you know, a little angry. And then all of a sudden it stops because you have this storm. So how do you think about that from a news standpoint? Well, it's, you know, that's a really tough thing. There's obviously there's a there's a transition that we're starting to make. Um and and the 
the most important thing, of course, is to focus on it is to tell the most important stories of the moment and to help get people the information that they need the most. And right now, that's it's a combination of information about Sandy and its after effects and preparation for Election Day on Tuesday. So one um one example, you know, we're starting to see in some in some ways the stories kind of overlap. And just as you explained, the, the campaigns kind of took a took a break and now they're coming back, but in a slightly different way. And yesterday, actually, we did um we did a social media project with the Suzanne Malveaux show on CNN television. Um, it's it's a show that runs from noon to two. And we we decided to do a, a project with them with this app that we built in partnership with Facebook. It's called, we're calling it I'm Voting. And the, the main thrust of the app is to encourage people to declare on Facebook that they intend to vote um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, one, because there's, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that if you declare your intention to vote and tell a friend that you're going to vote, you're more likely actually to do it. So it's a it's a it's a very good kind of get out the vote like effort and and helping to you know improve the democratic process and and all those good things. Um, what the what the app does though is it it invites people to make that declaration and then it serves up a set of multiple choice questions about the biggest issues in the election and issues in the news at the moment and lets you see your responses up against your friends on Facebook, which is fascinating and. Um, has the potential to start lots of, you know, dinner party and <laughs> dinner table wars. Um, but what we did yesterday with the Malveaux show was to ask a new question on the Facebook app about whether the storm and the candidates' responses to the storm had affected the way people feel about them and would eventually change their vote. And so we did a social media push in the morning to ask that question on Facebook and then on the show did another social media push and then and then as answers came in did a segment back on television to reveal the responses and and overwhelmingly what people said was that they had that actually they they already had their minds made up and that they were impressed with the way both candidates had handled the the storm and the response to the storm but it wasn't going to change the way they voted of course it's a Facebook survey. It's not a scientific poll, but it still sort of right, gives you a right. sense of, it, you know, it gives you a sense of sort of the conversation and what people are thinking and feeling. And, and it was a way for us to tie in and, and sort of like move from the, you know, 100% Sandy coverage and like complete focus on what was happening in the Northeastern United States to sort of broaden that out to the rest of the nation and reflect like how it will ultimately affect the, the next week's events. And it's a, you know, overall, it's a, it's a delicate balance and it's a conversation that's happening literally every minute in every newsroom across CNN, how to, how to do it properly and how to, you know, how to, how to treat both stories with the, with the import that they deserve. Yeah. And, um, well, that's a beautiful, you've, you know, even though it might not have been, um, a Gallup or, you know, a Roper, you know, sanctioned poll, I mean, it still captures the flavor of, trends and how people are thinking and where they're at. And plus it gave you, you know, a really nice platform to do commentary about, you know, a transition and bringing the 
two stories together very organically. It, it was interesting from a news watcher standpoint. It, you know, it, it was almost nice to see that there was less mudslinging, you know, and more support for teaming up, even if you were running for president, to, you know, make the disaster relief a priority, and I I want to bring up Chris Christie again because a transition a, a transition moment for me as a news watcher, um, and you know a news analyst, but this time really a new, a news watcher that felt really warm and fuzzy is when you know Chris Governor Christie really did compliment Obama, and that was really after kind of being you know aggressively supporting Romney, <laughs> um, you know, on the campaign trail, but then really appearing to be human in, you know, giving Obama kudos for his response. Right. right. Well, and that's the thing that, I mean, I guess this sort of goes back to our conversation earlier, but so it's one of the most powerful things about social media that it, it does in so many ways bring out our humanity and lets us be ourselves. And, I, I was, I mean, obviously following Chris Christie's um, or Governor Christie's tweets as, as well. And one of the things I was really struck by was that he said, you know, all of our memories are gone. He was talking about the Jersey Shore and how, you know, those those beachside towns won't be the same, and they they represent they 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 hold so many memories for so many people in that region of the country who, you know, spent summer vacations and, you know, have family photos going back generations um, in front of all the Ferris wheels and, and, you know, hot dog stands and all of the, all of, all of those things. And so actually one of the, one of the projects we lit up yesterday was a, an I report a question asking people to share their historic photos and, you know, old family photos of the Jersey shore so that we can kind of reconstruct that, reconstruct those memories you know, together, if only in photographs and words, it, you know, there's still something sort of powerful about that. And, you know, that comes from, that comes from a, a, a governor's tweet, right? It's, it's just a, we live in this, we live in a very different world today than we did um, just a few years ago. And no, and it's, um, and I think really um, an amazing one. I, um, just a, a little story you were talking about how people, you know, just regular people were making the fabric of what as the news was unfolding and um, when the hurricane first hit and I was watching all of this through social media but I also have a sister that lives in Queens New York so you know <laughs> I had her on my front lines <laughs> for um, <laughs> my personal news you know compilation and what was strange for you know a, Twitter users you know, like me is for a while, the storm was hitting, but, and you saw how devastating and powerful it was, but it did not just hit yet. So you saw your traditional newscasters in front of the, you know, in front of the oceans with the waves getting bigger and getting wet and, you know, your, your typical weather person hysteria reports. Um, and, you know, but I wasn't seeing any pictures for a while of things that were apps, you know, actually happening at the moment. And I was very, very concerned about my family in New York and my friends in New York and my business partner in New York. I, I come from New York. This is my town. And um, the first thing that my sister posted was a tree 
a huge tree that had fallen down in front of her house with electrical wire um, danger. And she said to me um, via Twitter, and I saw her post, um, am I tweeting right? I mean, nobody seems to be responding to this. And I said, she goes, I keep on hitting tweet and it won't, it's gray. So she was seeing that her tweets weren't showing, but they really were, but I had to tell her they were, <laughs> if that makes any sense. So um, she says, well, I, I want to get somebody over here um, because of the wires. I mean, they look like they're really, really dangerous. And I, and I told her, you know, why don't you text um, FEMA 4 and um, put in your zip code? And let them know because, you know, and she did that. And then first responders came. Wow. So that was kind of amazing. Wow. That it's, it's absolutely amazing. The utter, just absolute connectivity we have and immediacy of communication is, is incredible. It, you know, one of the things we're, we're gearing up for on election day is a, um, you know, we'll be looking out for, of course, people's voting experiences and we'll want to see photos of like literally how long precinct lines are in individual places. And you can imagine using iReport, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, like any of those, any of those tools, it will be a really effective way for people to say like, oh, the lines are really long right now. You might want to wait or, you know, the line's short at the moment. Come on down, dear neighbors. Um, but it's, but it also potentially, you know, if they're, if there are voting irregularities or, you know, reports of voter suppression or fraud or like any of those, any of those, you know, kinds of things that obviously news organizations want to be looking out for, um, it, it will be, it, it's never been easier for people to document and report those kinds of issues. And we're certainly uh, staffed up and, and we'll be looking for, you know, looking for people's voting experiences all day long on Tuesday. No, I'm sure. And um, we're coming to the end of the segment. But wh one last question, Lila, you know, how much does, you know, opinions on social media, does it, you know, influence how people vote? Like when you look at these polls and, you know, you see neck and neck, you know, 46% to 47%, do people say to themselves, well, I want to go with the winner because I'm watching these early trending polls on Twitter? What do you think? <laughs> you know, I... I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert in scientific polling, but I, I know scientific polling has been around for years and years and years and decades. And I, I'm not sure seeing the social media conversation is, is, is materially any different from the kind of polling we've had for decades. And I, I'm, I'm not sure it convinces people or changes their mind as much as it really gives us an unprecedented look into what the national conversation really is and what the voices and perspectives are behind the numbers of the polls that we've traditionally had access to. And if you look at something like, like Facebook built uh, together with CNN, something called election insights that gives you a look at the conversations across Facebook by location, by gender, by age, and the mentions of all four of the chief candidates, it helps you understand and really make sense of what people are talking about and what they're feeling and what their key issues are and and how we as a news organization should cover the story to help give people the information they really need to make decisions and and that's what i feel is so powerful and that's really it's it's really telling us 
a much deeper, it's giving us a deeper look at the national conversation. And that is incredibly valuable. Well, listen, you said that very well, and I really want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to share some um, information with us. It's a pleasure to have had you on the show, Lila, and um, I am sure that we will talk again. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay. Well, you keep keep busy, keep reporting, and we're all watching. <laughs> okay. All right. Take care. All right. All right, stand by for disaster response operational expert Steve Lee after this commercial break. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com. Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Get free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call 866-472-5788. Let's get back to Stars of PR. Here's the host and CEO of PR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. In our last segment, we talked with the head of social media, Lila King, about how CNN uh, you know, has to plan its news coverage during a disaster like Storm Sandy, the planning, the fabric of talking to people all across the world with their individual stories, um, how news has really changed with the onslaught of social media. Um, but continuing with Sandy, um, we have um, a really great global intelligence and um, global protection um, specialist, and his name is Steve Lee. And Steve has really been preparing, you know, for the onslaught of Sandy with clients in terms of disaster response and rapid deployment, doing some incredible things. Steve has a really... Um, a really terrific background. I mean, he, he ties all elements of physical and virtual security together through his operation, Steve Lee and Associates. Um, you know, he's been to war zones and, um, he said to me before the show that if he could extract individuals from Libya, Egypt, and Honduras, he could probably do the same in New York, New Jersey, or Connecticut during a hurricane. And that's fascinating, Steve. Well, thanks, Cindy, and thanks for having me on your show. Um, it is the same skill set, and, um, you know, uh, 
it's a different set of risks, of course. You know, one set of risks is completely man-made in a war zone or in a, an area where there's civil unrest. And the other set of risks, of course, is made by nature and then compounded by, um, compounded by us. Uh, you know, when we, uh, when we panic, flee, uh, loot or, uh, <clears throat> or, you know, otherwise misbehave in these, these bad situations. And of course, what we've seen a lot of in the news is people behaving really well and, uh, you know, exercising restraint and, uh, you know, kind of heroic character uh, in and around New York. But, uh, but that's, of course, not the whole story. Uh, there is also, you know, in the aftermath of these kinds of events, there is food shortages, water problems, contamination, and, of course, uh, security issues because, uh, to the power outage, uh, a sustained power outage in, in bad weather, uh, you know, can uh, can create opportunities for people to uh, to loot, to steal, uh, even to commit uh, violent crimes. Yeah, well, I I know that people probably haven't people in in the affected areas probably haven't really thought about that. They're probably happy if they do still have their homes or their businesses and they're back in operation and they're not thinking about, you know, some of the you know logical consequences. Um, you know, when we think of any disaster um or any event that can cause distraction um, that's when the people with criminal minds start thinking, don't they? Well, they do, and and they also tend to weigh risks differently than the rest of us do. I mean, we're we're concerned in the immediacy of these you know horrible situations, you know, with uh, with our families, with our homes, uh, with making sure our children are fed, our parents are taken care of, uh, you know, that the sick and injured are. Are properly cared for that uh, you know that a hospital that runs out of power and uh, whose backup generator fails you know can successfully evacuate the patients to safety. Those are the things that concern us. You know, we're most of us. I think uh, this is reasonable to say. You know, most of us. You're right. We're not thinking about well um, now that the power's off. You know, on my magnetic doors, are they locked open? And, uh, you know, is the response time hours instead of minutes if something happens? And, in fact, there won't be any response because the you know, central alarm system may be shut down. So, uh, you know, we're not thinking about those things. And, and we, you know, we tend to find out about them later. Uh, and what I was saying about the risk, you know, the, sort of the risk calculus is that if you have a criminal mind, you know, you already are accustomed to taking very significant risks. Um, or at least you evaluate them differently than the rest of us do. You know, uh, 10 or 20 feet of water might not represent as big of a risk to somebody who uh, who really has a criminal mind than, uh, as opposed to, you know, somebody with a normal mindset who says, gosh, I'm going to stay away from that. Uh, right, so it does represent I... opportunities. And, and we have clients, uh, you were alluding to this earlier, we have commercial clients who have very serious concerns about what might happen uh, not only to their businesses, but to their families, depending on how bad the damage was. And so they they had retained our um, one or the other of our global rapid deployment teams to be ready to come into the disaster area and uh, 
secure their facilities or evacuate their family, uh, you know, depending on, on what the need was that arose. No, it's, um, I, and I think we discussed yesterday, Steve, that people who really didn't do the planning as they should have for Sandy because there's been other storms that didn't have the impact that Sandy had in the past. So people watch the news and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they always have to hype it up. It's going to, they're making it seem a lot worse than it is. Well, you know what? It's probably the news's duty to do that because the news has to make things, you know, they have to really be dramatic in terms of reporting things. That's their public service duty. Um, and I think sure. when people didn't listen this time, okay, they're probably slapping themselves on the behind really hard. And they're probably going to do things differently in preparation for the next event. Um, you had mentioned to me yesterday, Steve, that we are seeing these um, Armageddon types of events more and more frequently. I, You know, did, did you say that it was over the last hundred years or... You know, we're seeing it how many times now compared to what we used to see it? Well, I, I can't remember who actually made this quip, whether it was Mayor Bloomberg or Governor Christie in New Jersey. But one of them, I believe, said recently um, <clears throat> that we're having a 100-year event every year or so. And, uh, you know, 100-year flood, 100-year hurricane. And uh, and I think that's true. You know, that's, uh, I mean, it's, it's an observable truth that... Uh, you know, at least from a subjective perspective, these weather events, um, you know, natural disasters, these things are happening with um, with a frequency that we are not really um, accustomed to. Um, so we certainly need to get accustomed to them. We need to be able to plan for them. I think the point you were making earlier is a really valid one, which is it's really not safe or secure to assume that just because you know, just because the surge hasn't hit 10 to 14 feet in lower Manhattan before, that it'll never happen. Well, you know, it, it did happen. It just happened. Um, it's, it's certainly not safe to assume that you know, the New Jersey shore is a safe place to be in a, in a hurricane. I think it's been demonstrated that, that it isn't necessarily a safe place to be. And you're right. Those who didn't prepare probably have some regrets. Uh, I don't think they have to spank themselves. Uh, I think Sandy did an excellent job of really sadly spanking everybody pretty hard. Uh, but yeah, you, you've got to be, if you didn't respond to the warnings, you've got to be wishing that you had, that you had, you know, taken care of your food and water, that you had taken care of your home security uh, to the extent you could, that you had moved valuables offsite into a different kind of location. That you had a plan for communicating and rendezvousing with your family members, uh, and that you didn't rely on false assumptions like cell phones are always going to work, or the landlines are always going to work, or that power is going to be back on in a week. So I don't right. think those things. I don't think those are those are clearly not safe assumptions, and I'm couldn't be more delighted that that you know the. This is going as well as it is for people, because I think it could have been a lot worse, believe it or not. I think we actually got fairly lucky, given how severe this was. But a lot of unprepared people, and so a lot of misery. 
No, that's um, an, really an understatement. And, um, you know, I'm going to have you on for one more segment, Steve, if that's okay. And um, we'll oh, get sure. more into, you know, s- some scenarios that are likely to occur over the next year as um, people really analyze the storm and what the long-term damage is and, you know, some, th- and some of the things that take place, like, you know, we mentioned looting in this segment, but we think, you know, that there's probably going to be a lot of insurance attempts, you know, toward insurance fraud, um, which opens a whole other can of worms, um, and the litigation services that will be required. Um, when right. you have a disaster of this magnitude, um, we, we've seen before how people try to make claims and, you know, the billions of dollars that, you know, you know, people can attempt to scam and how your services really might be very, very, very helpful to those that have to evaluate you know, this kind of situation. Um, so stand by and we'll have more with Steve Lee. I call Steve Lee, you know, the fraud detective. Um, he actually has a fraud detective agency arm, but he does so much more than that in terms of, you know, <laughs> rapid evacuation and, and deployment and um, private investigations. And he is the man to know with any kind of protection and, you know, intellectual solutions. And um, we'll talk more about that in the next segment. So don't go away. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards than she can hang on her wall, including three Clios. Call in now at 1-866-472-5788 and you can have one. Okay, maybe not, but she will answer your questions. Back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. We're back with Steve Lee, and, um, you know, I want you to all look him up because his operation is definitely an operation that you should know. And, um, you know, I, I, I think you could just go into stevelee.com in a simple sense, right, Steve? 
Sure, that's a good way to see um, sort of a long list <laughs> of um, services that relate to, um, you know, to emergencies and the aftermath of emergencies. Uh, you know, we were talking about the extraction services that we offer. Uh, I'd mentioned those earlier about, you know, rescuing folks out of the uh, high-threat areas that had become uh, necessary. And, and, of course, you know, we're talking about doing something that's way above and beyond what, um, you know, what normal public and community and government services are. And so it isn't, it isn't for everybody. And we certainly don't, you know, pretend that it is. Uh, you know, you have a bunch of, if you can visualize a bunch of former special operations soldiers, you know, coming into, uh, <clears throat> you know, coming into the by helicopter or private aviation to save you or extract you, it's not exactly the same thing as the, as the services of the very wonderful, you know, uh, New York City Fire Department. But, but some folks need that. Now, in the last segment, you had kind of mentioned, talked about some of these other things that are going to happen, uh, you know, and let's face it, there's going to be thousands and thousands and thousands of claims, uh, ten, tens of thousands of them, in fact. Uh, um, and there's going to be uh, a lot of fraud associated with that, and that's, that's unfortunate. Uh, you know, people should know that folks like us are engaged by insurance companies to, you know, to examine data, to look at damage, to do that kind of analysis. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, I suppose in a way it's thankless work, but it's very important that when the time comes to make these claims that folks do them, you know, on the up and up, claim only what actually happened. Uh, and of course, realize that um, you know, some claims are not going to be uh, covered. Not everybody has the kinds of uh, insurance coverages that are going to uh, that are going to compensate them for the horrible things that have happened. Uh, and uh, and that's a tough that's a tough situation. But uh, but it's not something that you want to turn to, to any kind of fraudulent activity for because uh, you know you end up getting spanked even harder. For that sort of thing, we also will be involved in you know, assessing commercial damages on on top. You know these sort of not consumer issues, but much larger commercial issues. You know, somebody's going to be uh, <clears throat> held responsible, for example, for that crane that's dangling a thousand feet above uh, above Midtown Manhattan, and there's going to be a, a world of cost associated with that, and probably a lot of litigation. Uh, there'll be lots of cross complaints, you know, where one business sues another for its failures to do one thing or another in the storm that could have protected their interests. So there's a lot of a lot of things that are going to go on at that sort of commercial level where we function as experts. In the more immediate term, I'm very concerned about some of the possible results, you know, of the of the actual weather damage problems of food and water contamination, the possibility of you know, disease. Uh, here we are, it's very cold. Uh, there's been a lot of contamination. Uh, I don't know when the power is going to get back on. Uh, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of people who are probably going to be at severe risk. And, uh, and we're going to see how this plays out in the next couple of weeks. I hope it plays out well. But I do have some serious concerns about you know the longer term <clears throat> infrastructure problems and uh, and disease vector problems that could come about here. I think that a lot of people should be concerned. I um, you mentioned when we were talking 
yesterday um, that security systems are going to have to be revisited, um, you know, and unfortunately, you know, it's, uh, you know, you learn these things after it's too late. And you had mentioned to me that um, businesses, corporations, um, facilities that had magnetic doors in water, um, there's a high likelihood that these will become demagnetized? Yeah, what actually happens is, you know, even before the water hits them, when Con Ed, uh, you know, the, the power uh, generating facility, particularly the Con Ed plant in southern Manhattan, and I think the one that, you know, many of us have, have famously seen a couple of explosions come out of that plant um, on the night that the hurricane landed in Manhattan. Uh, that plant shut off power actually before uh, the main part of the storm surge <clears throat> to about, I think, 6,500, maybe 7,000 businesses in southern Manhattan. Uh, you know, this was done on uh, what they call a prophylactic basis in order to make the... Um, it's better for them to shut down the power than it is for the water to shut down the power. But the point is that when they shut down the power, uh, unless you have a backup generator that's going to last many, many hours at your business, uh, those businesses that use magnetic door locks as a security device, those doors tend to be, um, uh, by default, if there's no power, they get locked open, not closed. And the reason they do that is so that people can evacuate from the building. However, uh, you, you can sort of picture you, there's really ser serious security problems if the front door, the back door, the emergency doors, the side doors to a building or a facility are locked into the open position and people have been evacuated from the facility. First responders are dealing with you know, crisis situations uh, by the thousand. So, you know, to, to quote the, the movie Ghostbusters, who are you going to call? Who's going to come? Who's going to even know? And so I think that that's just one example of, you know, ways in which businesses and individuals don't prepare at a security level for these kinds of events. And I think there, there is, I would encourage people to, you know, when, when the dust clears here, and as you say, it's, it's too late right now, um, entirely too late, but I, when the dust clears and the water recedes, I would um, encourage them to do at least their own threat assessment, if not engage professionals to do those kinds of assessments for them, to determine what they're really facing and, uh, you know, and whether or not their systems, uh, whether they be door locks or even infrastructure or information security in their building, uh, whether those things are really adequate to deal with these kinds of events that aren't happening once every hundred years. They're happening every couple of years. So you have to factor them in to your plans. You know what? The statistics, when people at insurance companies do risk assessment and risk management, obviously they have to note that these statistics have changed <laughs> drastically. Sure. And that That's has right. to change the business model. And then they have, you know, people 
like you that they could talk to about these things, Steve. I mean, you know, you have really, you're, you're the danger buster and, um, you're the safety insurer. And, you know, one of the things that I want to say about Steve too is he's very connected with, um, you know, the, the public sector, um, even though you can't really share who all of those contacts are, you know, specifically, I mean, you know, you have an operation that is well-heeled and well-connected with the necessarily, necessary people um, on, the, on the public side or that have the public experience or, you know, the real battleground experience that you need to respond to these kinds of warlike situations. Well, I, thanks for saying that. I, I think that's true. I guess the way I would characterize it is that we, you know, we've done a very good job of coordinating and, uh, you know, being supportive uh, and working with authorities and, and folks in the public sector, wherever that's been uh, required. And of course, uh, you know, we cross fertilize to a certain extent because when people come out of that sector, we, we hire them. Sometimes, uh, you know, those, those end up being the folks that are working inside. So we have, uh, you know, a very nice collegial working relationship in general, you know, with, uh, you know, with, with all those, that whole spectrum of, of folks. And you're right. I mean, that's, they represent, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of places where we trail off and they begin and there are places where they stop doing what they do and we, we begin and I think we, we respect each other's boundaries and, and work really well together. Well, listen, we've we've come to the end of the show. I want to tell everybody that there's actually um, you coordinate seminars with a company called Force Tactical. Am I correct? Did I say that right? I think that's right. Yes. I, and um, you could actually Google Force Tactical if you are in the Los Angeles area, and you know look for when these um, seminars are planned, and it's all about learning how to react in a disaster situation. So um, I would encourage people to look that up. And I, and I know that you have some going on in the next couple of weeks in November. That's right. That's right. I think there's one uh, on November 7th and another November 21st. And these are, uh, you know, they're nom- for what they are, they're very nominal cost. Uh, they're really done more as an outreach and, uh, a community service kind of um, activity, uh, you know. So, uh, so I think they they cost seventy five dollars per person or something like that. But but that's that's a subsidized price. I mean, it would be it would be thousands if you were just paying for it. Um, instead, you're just paying for the materials and things like that. Um, okay, and it, well. it seems it seems to be helpful for people, you know, yeah. especially in these times. Well, listen, I want to thank you for taking the time. For, you know, this was a very um, news relevant show, so I'm glad that you were able to join it. And for those that are just tuning in now, go back to the beginning because you'll hear Lila King, who's the head of social media for CNN, some great insights about the storm, some great insights about um, the, the presidential election. So, everybody, please be safe, particularly those friends of ours that are located. Um, on the eastern seaboard we really wish you the very best and are praying for you and your safety okay well until next week i will 
I will talk to everybody then and have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Please come back next Thursday and every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern for more insider information on the world of public relations with Cindy Rakowitz on Stars of PR. See you next week. I am an American Psycho.